I got legal weed pad. Oh yeah, is that how that works? Yeah, it says need free help quitting smoking, and then just below that, I put in, I fill in whatever I want, and take it to a pharmacy. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, you've been able to uh, find a new career for yourself. Yeah, this came from the CDC. So we're doing Prisoner of Paradise today? Uh, yes. Okay. Mm. Once again. <laughs> I don't think we covered it thoroughly enough. Uh, there was a day last week where it had eight plays, and I don't know why. Hmm. <laughs> just that episode? Yeah, just that episode. Um. I did post it on the Facebook group, so maybe the Facebook is reaching out more than I think. Oh, okay. Um, I got a three-day, I got a one-day ban from that <laughs> uh, for posting Harry Reem's butt again, which the same thing happened when I tried to put it on Instagram like way back for uh, Altar of Lust. Right, right. Yeah, I posted it again on facebook when i was like well maybe facebook's going to be a little bit more lenient about it but they were not i got no. a one-day ban and then a day later i got a three-day ban for the same thing that's and, fucked uh, up yeah and i tried to dispute it and there's a little box you can type everything into and i was like hey i think you're just uh i think like an algorithm thing hit me help me out let me out of this uh crystal crystalline prison <laughs> that i find myself in um but every time you hit submit, it would just go to an error page. <laughs> yes, that is, uh, that's our internet based future. Yeah. So, uh, that's pretty much everything. So yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that was our whole, um, we were down. So I had to post, uh, like I posted the first like batch episodes, like the first four and I've just been kind of like uploading the posters and like some screenshots and like the description of the episode and all that stuff. There was like a six day in, or like a four day interruption between when I posted like the first ones and the other ones. So right. <laughs> I think maybe that being posted last week, maybe that could have accounted for some new listens. Who knows? Excellent. That's good stuff. Yeah. You know, what's even more spooky than getting a Facebook banned temporarily. What's that? It's uh, five weeks of fright. Oh yeah. And this is week number three, four. This will yes, be four. the fourth week. You're right. It'll be the I fourth, was wrong. It will be the fourth week of fright. Uh, I was so frightened, I forgot how many weeks we had been frightened. I thought we were only three weeks in, but time flies when you're being spooked. Yeah, it's true. Well, this week is very special because we're doing a double feature, so twice the fright. Yeah. Well, kind of. Sort of. Depending on your definition of fright, if it's pretty loose, yes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this week is kind of an interesting week uh, because we're doing a double feature of some fairly low-budget, not necessarily uh, high-end stuff. Um, but, you know, these are these are shorter movies, and they're uh, low-budget and interesting in their own way. Um, but I think that, firstly, they're interesting in just how strange they are. And secondly, uh, we have a piece of uh, investigative journalism oh, right. to uh, accompany our discussion this week that will really take everybody into the heart of the f terror. Yeah, um, I went on location to do a little uh, investigative undercover, uh, you know, Alex Jones style reporting. And uh, hopefully you guys like what I found deep in the heart of uh, america's backwoods uh yes so 
Welcome once again to the Rinko Report. I don't think I had actually said that yet. No. Uh, this is Boss with Jeremy, and again, oh, we're continuing our October Five Weeks of Fright. Yep. Uh, a double feature. Um, we are talking today about uh, two bizarre classics uh, from the days of the storefront theaters. Um, and both of these actually come from uh, Vinegar Syndrome's Storefront Theater Collection, uh, the second volume, All Night at the Bizarre Art Theater. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I've watched a handful of them. You got it for me for Christmas a couple of years ago, which was really kind of probably the genesis of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. The second greatest Christmas story ever told. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... The first being, of course, Home Alone. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, Birth of Christ, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole joke. And really, it was Home Alone 2. Yeah. Uh, co-starring our president. Our dead president? By the time this comes out, perhaps. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, uh, anyhow, let's not speculate too much on that one. No. No, uh, let's move on, because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, yes, there certainly is. So, we're going to start here by talking a little bit about the Sorceress. Mm-hmm. So, this is not the uh, Sorceress directed by Jack Hill. No, that's a great film. It is indeed an excellent film. It is also not the Sorceress directed by Jim Wynorski. Maybe um, that's... Was that the one I was thinking of? No. No. The one a, you were thinking of is the, the Jack right Hill one. Okay. one. That movie is uh, amazing. Uh, with uh, twin Playboy Playmates. Yeah, the two who are one. The two who are one. The two who are as one. Yeah, I believe that's it. <laughs> the two who are as one. Uh, and then there's a 95, I believe, one by Jim Wynorski, okay. which I haven't seen yet, but I assume is probably great. Yeah, he's... I think he was right in his prime probably in about the late 80s to mid-90s. Yeah. But uh, this is neither of those. Um, This is an hour-long adult film from 1974, directed by uh, Lewis Anderson and uh, Leonard Kurtman, according to IMDb. The credits list them as John Ball. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, But this is, uh, you know, not a star-studded affair. The main role here being played, I believe, by Andrea True, um, but uh, there is an appearance at the end by a more uh, famous porn star in Eric Edwards. Okay. But generally speaking, you know, this is a low-budget affair. There are only a handful of people in the film. Um, it's not exactly, you know, a blockbuster affair. No, it's the least of the sorceress trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's not really a whole lot else to say about it. Uh, there's not like a big long uh, amount of information to mine here. Right. So we're going to go ahead and just get into talking about the sorceress. And then we will be back and talk about our second feature which will be a bit more in-depth because, again, we have uh, Jeremy's investigative reporting to uh, look forward to. Right. It was a harrowing journey that I urge you all to stay tuned in for. Yeah, so uh, really, I I can't urge you enough 
to stay tuned for our second segment after this. Uh, this first segment is going to be entertaining as always, but our second segment, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're really stretching our legs into the world of uh, investigative journalism. Yes, investigative uh, cryptozoology, yes. I'll add. <laughs> exactly. Um, Jeremy really got to the bottom of things, and I think that you will be shocked and terrified with the results. Yeah, uh, you know, in my period of joblessness, let's say I've become very dedicated to the art of the, the cryptid, the uh, cryptid hunting. Yes. Become very adept. I've hunted a few down. I found a gargoyle. Oh, yeah. In an alley. <laughs> <laughs> um, saw a goblin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was hopping off on the roofs. Oh. So I haven't caught any of them yet, but I've seen them. Excellent. So I don't have any proof for you. Well, we'll have to work on that. Yeah, um, but I think on this one, I finally I broke through. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't believe before today, you'll believe afterwards. Almost certainly, yes. Uh, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, once again, yeah. let's go ahead and start by talking about the sorceress. All right, let's go ahead and do that after a break. Uh, yes, after a quick break, we will be right back. Maybe you could play out one of my fantasies for me. What's that? You could be a French whore. A French whore? Yeah. Oh, we oui, it's you. Oh. Well, I love oui, it. Oui. I would take your body. I would use all of your body. Ooh, use it all. I want to take your cock and I want you to put it in my ass. Between my legs. Oh, oh I can't stand oui, it. Oui, sweet opening theme yes it was it's some excellent music yeah oh that's actually probably the best thing about the film but we'll get to that later <laughs> all right so uh the sorceress uh opens with some title cards they're actually like physical title cards with uh letters put on them in like three-dimensional wood or foam or plastic yeah or something. it looks like a little yeah a little kind of like animated sort of introduction in a way yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, physical signs used for opening titles is not something uncommon with films of this sort of production value uh, at this time. Because sure. doing the optical effects of overlaying credits uh, is an extra piece of work to do. Absolutely. Um, I like it. Maybe I'll use it eventually. So, does anybody in this film have names? Um... No. I mean, I think the main woman, we can refer to her as the sorceress. Yeah. Um, but uh, she's no, not even really a sorceress. No. This, but based on the title of the film, I assume she is... She's our sorceress, for sure. Right. Okay, so let's just go ahead and dive into this. So sure. This film opens with a, a guy and a girl. Um, they're in their kitchen, it appears. Yes. Um, um and they've ha have this like green rug in the middle of the floor that we don't necessarily see at first, but we get to see uh, a, lot a lot. Of, yeah, and it actually shows up in other rooms in this film as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's green and it has this like gaudy, like dark green border around it. And right. uh, I assume after this, it was probably covered in common human juices of various sorts. But uh, they just threw it out. I probably would have thrown it out regardless. Of whether or not it was soaked in cum. <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, this guy and this girl are, uh, I guess it's the sorceress, we'll just call her that, the, because again, she's not named. Yeah. And her boyfriend or partner here. Yeah, the sorceress's 
boyfriend. So they're talking a little bit, and he mentions that uh, one of his fantasies was always to fuck a Spanish princess or countess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the girl, the sorceress, mm-hmm. starts using this very, very, very loose Spanish accent right, <laughs> and some very loose Spanish words uh-huh. uh, and starts undressing and... Uh, he goes down on her, and they basically fuck in this kitchen. Yeah. Um, She's about 90% bones. <laughs> it unnerved me at times, because she looks like a skeleton with like a human suit that's drawn maybe a little too tightly across the bones. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I can't knock her. I don't, I'm not any, I'm not a spring chicken. I'm not a, I'm not a Chad. I'm not whatever <laughs> is in, but, uh. We'll, you know. we'll save the rest of that talk for your incel podcast that we record <laughs> okay, afterwards. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, this kitchen is very gross 70s styled. Like, yeah. there are some things in the 70s that I like as far as, like, uh, design and clothing and stuff like this. But this is, like, all the worst stuff. Yeah, like, I think the difference is, is the stuff you like is for rich people, and this is just what poor people had. Oh, okay. Yeah. This this just looks like a grandparent's kitchen in the 90s. Yeah. Your grandparents are poor. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, mm. Lots of green things. Like yeah, green. Weirdly green. Maybe people saw green different, just a little different in the past, and they just weren't able to uh, tell how badly it clashed with everything around it. There's lots of green and orange in this type of stuff. Oh, always, yes. Not the, like peas and carrots. But, uh, yeah, so they've decided to uh, fuck in the kitchen. There's, like, a brick wall and a sink and some gnarly wallpaper on the background walls. Yeah. Uh, he fucks her on the stove. Yeah. Um, she seems dangerous. It's a gas range, or is it? But, anyway, it seems dangerous just because someone might flip a burner on. Yeah. I always I mean, like to point out the danger inherent in some of the porno sex. Yeah, uh, porno sex in general is designed only to be visually titillating. A lot of times it doesn't make sense even when it's not dangerous. Yeah. But there's definitely some dangers in this scene. Uh, in addition to, uh, you know, fucking on the stove, and of course we see a bunch of spatulas and cooking spoons hanging on the wall, and <laughs> all the different uh, kitchen stuff. Right. Uh, I imagine this was an actual kitchen and not a set. Oh, uh, yeah. Just based on how... Uh, accurate to a kitchen it was it's definitely just someone's grandma's kitchen (laughs) (laughs) um there's uh, but in addition to the danger of the uh stove sex we then see her doing a handstand on the ground of the kitchen yes Uh, and she's basically upside down on her on her head and her hands while he's getting uh giving her oral and Eventually, we get to the point where he starts giving her a, uh, what we call the pile driver. Is that what you're calling it? I was calling it the jackhammer. (laughs) But uh, they both work for the action that's going on. Where basically she's uh, propped up on her head and neck, and he's uh, just from above having sex with her. Just driving down, like standing like athwart her, and just driving himself down. And what looks like a killer leg workout. Yeah, like... (laughs) And it's like, it's a weird position. I've seen it in a lot of other porn. Right. Uh, even to this day, mm-hmm. you see it a lot with weird porn. But like, you have to like bend your penis down 
Um, you know, so it's at like a 90 degree angle with where it's supposed to be. Right. And uh, just kind of shove it down with there. Uh, so we get to see that while we get to stare at the vomit green colored uh, rug. <laughs> um, he eventually pulls out and comes. Um, so they start talking in the kitchen again, and she explains that she thinks that other guys have fantasies too. And she can serve them as kind of a palm reader for sexual fantasies. Uh, she'll find them out and help them act it out, but... Her boyfriend is going to take pictures. Uh, so she's going to have him bring in men right. because he knows a lot of bankers. Yeah, and, and he they're, plays poker with them. Right. And they're apparently going to blackmail these men. Yeah. Uh, that plot point actually doesn't get played out at any point in this film. There's He's taken pictures of them. Right. But, yeah, nothing comes of it. And, right. But we'll see why. Yeah. <laughs> So we immediately cut from all of this to her in her new palm reading business. Uh, she's behind this like glass counter and yeah. in front of a coffin. Yeah, an open coffin, glass <laughs> counter, uh, a lot of candles. Pretty neat little setup, like aesthetically kind of right. pleasing. Pretty gothic, which is probably maybe the major horror component of this film besides uh, one of the acts later on. He, uh, she starts reading this guy's palms and he reveals that he's a banker. Um, she says that she can tell he has a lot of sexual experience. So she offers to make his sexual fantasies come alive and tells him to come with her. So we then cut to see a woman in a red leotard. Is this her? I thought it was her in a wig. Right. Cause okay. It, cause yeah. Whoever it is is definitely wearing a wig, but since I don't recognize anyone, um, my <laughs> facial blindness is at full peak. Right. Um, so it might be, it might not be. She changed really quickly if it is her. Right. Also, uh, this is about where the music starts to get very interesting and maybe to some listeners familiar. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, when you hear these strange synthesizers and orc grunts. Um, as I call them, you might recognize them as one of the uh, elements of uh, 1973 electronic music uh, staple. Yes. Uh, if not now, you will later. Uh, for sure. So um, she's stretching in front of a mirror and the banker guy <laughs> comes in. Um, we see her boyfriend hidden taking pictures and... Uh, the banker rips off her leotard and it goes into some sort of like consensual non-consent thing with the leotard woman uh, and he forcefully licks her and pulls her to the ground and uh, as this is going on we cut back and forth between that and her and the sorceress and her boyfriend in the kitchen um, her boyfriend sneaks up with a mask on and scares her she scalds him and then he tells her it was one of his fantasies yeah. Um, and then he tells her he has another fantasy he wants to act out. He wants uh, her to pretend to be a French whore. Yeah, all of this man's fantasies just involve fucking someone with a different accent or in a different language. So she starts dirty talking with him with a phony baloney French accent about putting his cock in her ass, her mouth, her cunt, and such. 
It's at this point where I identified what the music was, <laughs> which is uh, Tubular Bells. Yes. Uh, which is uh, most famous probably as the theme to The Exorcist, um, but is also like a 25-minute or so uh, yeah. crazy prog rock suite. It's two 25-minute crazy prog prog rocks. It's two 25 crazy... Man, you made a tongue twister on me. 25-minute crazy prog um, rock right. sweets. Yes, it's two <laughs> of them. Um, I listened to You're them right. on the way over, or part of one, because they're both 25 minutes. Right. Um, um, just to get myself psyched up for the show. Um, they, on the uh, Shockwaves podcast, uh, mm-hmm. which is, they do, they talk about horror movies and stuff. Right. They had this guy on there, and I can't remember what his name was, and I didn't do my research before this and think to bring it up, but uh, there's this guy who in L.A. does these, like, performances where he takes classic songs and, like, breaks them down track by track and goes through all the elements of it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Tubular Bells being as crazy as it is and with as many layers as there is uh, is an interesting one. But on an episode of that podcast, he went through and, like, broke it down track by track and all the different things and it was pretty neat that but, does uh, sound cool i'll have to check that out um anyhow so we have this uh this maid scene and this uh banker fucking scene going on cutting back and forth um eventually the uh banker fucks her in the ass doggy style and uh, in the kitchen boyfriend-girlfriend scene, uh, they start standing and fucking face-to-face, which seems incredibly difficult to impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, They're very flexible. I'll give them that. Yeah. And there's a lot of... There's not a lot of production value in this movie, but some of the camera work is pretty good during the sex, like doing like creative angles and things like that. Uh, there's still a lot of close-ups and a lot of like um, ass acne, but, you know... Yeah, you know, eventually the boyfriend pulls out and comes on her back, and then we cut back to the banker, and he ends up uh, coming on her belly and chest. Uh, He's very sweaty, but he did a lot of fucking here, so that happens. Yeah, um, I'm sure both of those scenes were shot at the same time, so he had been jackhammering before doing this shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. After that, we cut back to her behind the glass counter at her palm reading thing again. So we see kind of the pattern of the film now. She looks at another guy's palm, and among the things she tells him is that his sex drive is strong. (laughs) She asks him, do you like little girls? He says, sure, everyone does. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, She says that it's particularly his fantasy, and she tells him to come with her. Uh, we get more tubular bells at this point. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we see another woman. This time it's definitely another woman. Yes, it is. Uh, she's sucking on a long lollipop dressed as a little girl. Um, the sorceress walks in the banker and uh, he starts making out with this other woman on the bed uh, as stuffed animals watch. Right. And they're really odd looking stuffed animals. They're not like cute like modern stuffed animals no, are. They're, they're like-, like the most... Simple, like dead-eyed looking. The scary ones that their grandparents had in their house, in their apartment <laughs> where they filmed this. Right. So we also see the sorceress's boyfriend taking pictures with the camera again. The girl keeps licking the lollipop, almost like seeming indifferent to what the banker's doing to her, fondling her nipples and vagina and stuff. Yeah, it's weird. 
Uh, he sucks it at one point too. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a- afterwards. Okay. Um, so he eventually, you know, gets to fingering her a bit, um, and then he starts to lick her ass with his tongue. Yeah. And uh, then goes to her vagina. So he ends up fucking her and eventually pulls out and comes on her ass. And that's when he picks up the lollipop and starts sucking it while she sucks his cock a bit more. This Um, is when I noticed that this Danzig-looking fellow has huge balls. (laughs) They're very big. Um, That's why he had to come twice here. I think so. Because she continues to blow him and then he comes again. So we then cut back to the sorceress at the counter. Uh, and it's a woman there with a stuffed bunny. Yeah. She introduces the bunny as Boo Boo Bunny. Yes. She explains that she has everything, lots of money, but she's unhappy. The sorceress reads the customer's hand, and the customer says she's married to someone prominent. Uh, she's She met and married Joe Rock Superstar. Who played at Max's Kansas City with the talking heads and all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Was this made in New York? Um, or is this a, Cal- a California movie? I, I would assume that it's New York. I think... I think just based on the references. I, I feel like New York productions are the ones that you most likely see that are like stuck inside people's apartments. That's fair, yeah. Um, I feel like with L.A. or uh, California in general productions, more San Francisco than L.A., but yeah. um, you see a lot more outdoor stuff and yeah. things look different. But I, I'm not really sure. This might have been a, a California production. I was thinking by the existence of Eric Edwards, maybe I could place it, but I'm not sure where he was making movies at the time. He obviously wouldn't have flown across the country to make this one. Right. <laughs> Um, but I don't, uh, he's, there's some people that I know for sure where they were making movies in the seventies for the most part, you know, like Jamie Gillis was in New York for the most part. Um, you know, there, he might be flown elsewhere for a bigger production, but, right. um, I'm not sure about Eric Edwards or any of the other people in this yeah, film. I don't think they had much of a production budget on this. So wherever it was shot is where he was living at the time. Right. It, it might've had to have been somewhere else in the same building he was already living. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, when the customer met Joe Rock Superstar, he gave her Boo Boo Bunny that night uh, when they got married that first night. Uh, but she reveals that Joe is, as she says, a fag. Yeah, Joe is. Joe is a fag. Yeah. Uh, she's very dramatic about it. Yeah, uh, you know. Oh, the 70s. So, she says she doesn't know what to do. Uh, She doesn't like men at all now. She explains that maybe what she needs is a nice girlfriend. So, the sorceress judgmentally says she doesn't get into those kinds of things, but maybe something can be arranged. So, we then see the sorceress go down on the customer on the glass counter. So, that was arranged pretty quickly and easily. Yeah, it was so. I thought she was going to bring in another girl or something. But I guess we were past our our cast budget at this point. Yeah, definitely. So, the boyfriend's still taking pictures. uh, And they 69 and switch positions. And that's basically it. So Yeah, there's ass prints on the glass table at this right. point they have to i don't think they clean it off between shots either from the looks of things <laughs> probably not no so then we cut to the final segment of the film 
we see the sorceress again behind the counter, uh, and we see a guy in a leather jacket come in. Uh, this is Eric Edwards, porn star. Yeah. Uh, leather he, jacket and turtleneck. Uh, yes. And mustache. Yes. He has got a whole lot going on in this look. Yeah, he does. Uh, Eric Edwards uh, is best known, I believe, without a mustache. You know, this is kind of like where we see uh, Harry Reams without a mustache. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's reverse. It's, it's bizarro Eric Edwards. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyhow, he asks her if she reads palms, and she starts reading his palm. Uh, she asks what he does, uh, noting that his hands are rough, and he says different things. Um, she asks who sent him there and he won't tell her. Uh, so he's being very, uh, you know, avoiding of details. She says that he has a long lifeline and he gets up and approaches her a bit more. He explains that he lives across the street and saw people coming and going and had been thinking about her. He puts his hand around her throat and tells her to undress. She says no at first, but he makes her and then forces her down on her knees to blow him. So she's pushing him away a bit, but he's still threatening her, and so she kind of submits to whatever he wants. It's, it's at this point that I start asking myself, where is her photographer boyfriend? Yeah, he's gone at this point. Um, yeah, uh, he's not present. Maybe he was out to lunch. Who I don't knows? know. What if, what if this was another banker, though? He wouldn't have been here to take the pictures. Yeah. But, like, once you find out he's a rapist, his whole look really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, his whole uh, turtleneck and leather jacket yeah. look. I think the only other person I've seen wear that combination was, uh, like, I don't know, he's French. Uh, like, Michael Foucault, you know, Michel Foucault. Well, he's a uh, French philosopher, and that's his look. <laughs> uh, he's also bald. Um, but, yeah, turtleneck, leather jacket. Him and Eric Edwards a breed apart <laughs> I'm working on some art over here for the podcast <laughs> for social media so he ends up finishing in her mouth and she kind of drools it out and then we see him fucking her in in the ass on the glass counter um, with her on her back as they get going more she's telling him like that and moaning like she's into it so you know in the sense that uh, these films deal with uh, rape in a very uh, cavalier, very cavalier way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, she of course, you know, if it starts as rape, she's going to get into it eventually. I right. think that's the message that they were teaching our children. Yeah, in the seventies, they were definitely teaching some of society's worst. Uh, yeah, and we see where that got us. Anyhow. <laughs> As he's fucking her, we get a shot from behind that show his feet, and they are dirty as a motherfucker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he finally cool, pulls out and comes on her belly. Um, and then she says that it feels so good and eagerly sucks his cock afterwards. So, again, you know. Yeah. It just turned off like a switch. Now she's <laughs> into it. Uh, he then chokes her. Yes. Um and keeps choking her. And keeps choking her, and then she dies and very she quickly. Dies. Yes. I think it took her like five seconds <laughs> yeah. to die from choking. Yeah, that was... It's quite a plot twist. <laughs> so he then stands her up, and then the uh, coffin that was in the background open is like kind of set dressing in the past. Yeah. He just 
sits her into the coffin standing up somehow. Yeah. And then he closes the coffin, and on the outside of the coffin we see the words, The End. Well, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, that was the sorceress. Yes. Very uh, spooky. <laughs> they, they could have called it the Strangler and really kept a guess on who was going to be strangling. <laughs> the Sorceress just seemed a bit, uh, maybe not the best title. <laughs> so, um, anyhow, that is The Sorceress. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk a little bit about our next film. So in addition to our uh, coverage of the Sorceress this week, uh, we have the privilege of talking about another significant work in the adult genre of the 70s. Certainly one of the most well-known films. Uh, For sure. A real star-studded cast. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I am talking about the geek. There he is. Now... The Geek's uh, name is kind of nondescript, but the film pretty clearly makes clear what it is. Don't use that. (laughs) Don't use what I say. Cut me out of this episode entirely. (laughs) No, uh, The Geek is a 1971 production that tells the tale of a uh, missing link creature out west. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, stars no particularly notable uh, porn stars. The people in the film are completely uncredited. Um, in fact, there's not even a director credited on IMDb. Do you think the geek directed it? Uh, I'd like to think that the geek directed it himself. That would be good because that would be the first. Uh, that would be the first uh, cryptid made film. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and usually people are recording it in reverse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man makes movies about the monsters, but now the monster makes movies about the man. The Frankenstein has come full circle. Exactly. Excellent. So, um, there's not a whole lot of background to give about this. Uh, We'll make things clear uh, once we dive into this, so... Uh, Are we going to uh, play our investigative report before or after we talk about the film? I think we're going to do it afterwards. Because I I feel like the necessary context uh, will be gleaned from our review of the film. Okay, so we'll we'll not do the introduction to that just yet. No, but but now we can tell you I I went in search of the geek and what I found will astound you. You will be shocked and terrified and you will go mad. Yes, you will be horny with horror and the mother of abominations will be your name from the horniness that ensues as we descend into the total madness of what I found in the woods. So, to begin, 
Let's talk about the film itself, The Geek. So let's go ahead and talk about this uh, great film that we're here to discuss, The Geek. Yeah, this was the very first film on the Bizarre Art Theater uh, collection that I watched. Once I knew it was about a man-ape taking his uh, revenge upon the society, the society that wronged him, that I knew it was for me. Yeah, it, it it's something I can tell that you can really identify with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of all the beasts of the field, the the Bigfoot, the Yeti, the Sasquatch is dearest to my heart because one time someone in high school said, hey, stand like this. And they're like, oh, you look just like Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not also forget about how you were wronged at one point in your life when you had the uh, mask referred to as trash ape. Yes, and it was stolen by perhaps children. But that's my fault. I shouldn't have left it outside where any hooligan could just come up to your house and take the things that are yours. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyhow, uh, so the geek opens with a sign uh, for Brutus Productions Presents. And this is another physical sign used for credits. Yes, it's it's about as out of focus as Bigfoot usually is himself. So, yes. Uh, and that, that continues. So we get some uh, wilderness shots, and then we get the the geek, this time overlaid on the screen, and it is out of focus. Yes. It, it's noted here that the geek was filmed on location in Oregon, Washington, and Alberta, Canada. Um, it took three locations to make this? <laughs> that's what it says. Um, it also... Wow. Also, an interesting thing is they cheaped out pretty hard on whatever they used to do this overlay because you can see someone's face transparent on the screen slightly. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't obvious to me at first, but then the face moves a little bit and is like, oh, wow. Beautiful. It's, uh, it's quite a fun thing. So then we get some text on the screen that really introduces the ideas that we're dealing with here. Um, I think it's interesting because in this text, it switches back and forth between being all capitalized and then uh, being, you know, normally capitalized. Right. Uh, and at first, I thought it was just to emphasize a few things, but it kind of switches back and forth randomly. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. You don't know. It's hard to tell what to make of it. But it says, Forward. In the wild, untamed regions of the northwest part of our continents... Strange stories have been unfolding for 200 years. There is a legend of a mammoth being, part animal, part human. Its grotesque form has on occasion been seen by some. Others scoff at its existence. Yet, all respect it. They call it the Sasquatch. We call it the Geek. Uh, and then we get a zoom in on the text, the Geek, 
and it crops the left quotation mark off the side of it and goes out of focus. (laughs) So then we get a voiceover talking about the Sasquatch, uh, covering some of what it was saying on screen, uh, talking about how scientists think it might be ancient man or a mutation of it. Uh, One thing notable about this film is all of the uh, voices are overdubbed, and often... uh, we see people's mouths moving with no sound or yeah. uh, people talking wh- however their mouths aren't moving. Yeah, it's a continuation of the fine uh, tradition of overdubs and monster movies. Uh, yes. We see a bunch of young people arriving in a van and unloading their backpacks and sleeping sacks. We're given the understanding that these people are out doing some sort of wildlife survey. Are they looking for the geeks specifically? Or are they? I think that's... What they're up to, yes. Okay. I think they're trying to prove that it exists. Gotcha. They walk a bit through the woods towards their camping destination, and this goes on for a while. Yeah, so they don't walk a bit. It's uh, like the damn Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, yeah, this goes on for a while. There's a bunch of bird sounds in the background and a light, unnoteworthy score playing. Yeah. Uh, stock footage of, like, deer running and stuff right, like that. yeah. So their voiceover talks about having to carry their equipment for 30 miles. They're going to rest for the day and continue the next morning. Uh, yeah, they do say here that the crew is there to locate and photograph the geek. Yes. Uh, I want to know, because it says the narrator makes it sound like he's part of their expedition. So I want to know which hippie has this voice. Yeah, that that would be an interesting uh, thing to learn about this. Yeah. Because this is like a very proper sounding like nature narrator man. Just a little bit, you know? Yeah. It's not just some stoned guy like me just being like, um, uh, and they went out and they were looking for a fucking Bigfoot. (laughs) Oh, the geek. Yeah, the geek. Uh, Yes. So they they note that everybody on the team was specifically chosen for the journey due to their skills. Uh, And we're introduced to John and Valerie, who are a newlywed... Uh, couple. They wander off from the camp and start talking to each other via voiceovers without their mouths moving. Yeah, I like that it says that the whole thing's a team effort and they just immediately wander off to fuck instead right. of help pitch camp. So they decide they're going to make love under a tree. So they stop and kiss under the tree. Valerie notes that this is a wonderful way to spend their honeymoon. Out Bigfoot hunting and <laughs> fucking in the wilderness. Oh, that makes me think. I think there was a, a wife swap family that were Squatch hunters. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember if they were black or if the a, a black wife had been swapped. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the swappy was not into the whole thing. Yeah, I could imagine. That's, I think, that's the general pattern of the show. Yeah, I think she was like, you need to invest in your son's rap career instead of just doing all this Bigfoot stuff. <laughs> yeah, something something uh, a lot more of a sure thing, like a rap <laughs> career. Jeez. So they end up undressing and having sex on the ground, basically. The thing worth noting here is they're they're doing it, and she's blowing him, and then... They end up 
starting to uh, have sex on the ground. But then we get, you know, again, this is all dubbed over. We get the voiceover saying, you're a little too high. Move down a bit. Uh, (laughs) So basically they decided to put a voiceover covering for the fact that they had to shift positions in the middle of the shot. Oh, yeah. But I guess they couldn't have just, like, cut to a second shot to uh, cut things together for continuity. I'll be honest. I was so lost in the film magic of the whole thing that I just (laughs) didn't notice that. That it was still overdubbed, and yes, they had to do that maneuver. He ends up pinning her legs up and fucks her. We get a close-up penetration shot from behind, all hair and buttholes and bouncing balls. And acne. And acne. What's well, um, an ass acne in these uh, amateur productions of the time? Yeah. Um, one thing that I'll say about uh, Valerie, the girl in this scene, is that when she was dressed, I was like, you know, she's she's kind of a normal looking girl but she's probably pretty good i'll watch her fuck i'll yeah. be excited but once she got undressed and everything i slowly lost that magic uh in my mind about her uh, she had a very hairy asshole yeah <laughs> and uh you know she uh, had a lot of uh, butt acne um you know not to say that i would look a whole lot better in a porn film but i'm not making porn so yeah that's true not yet not yet. Oh, we're, we're working on it. If you guys want to contribute to our crowd crowdfunding, uh, you know, we'll get it off the off the ground. Ground, yes. Uh, the ground being where uh, John and Valerie are fucking right now. Didn't bring an air mattress. The idiots. Yeah, they are so stupid. There's a lot of terrible cinematography here. Oh yeah, it's bad. As it's as it's bad. <laughs> Eventually, John says, honey, I'm coming, with no enthusiasm in his voice. And he pulls out slightly, and he comes onto her vagina, and it kind of zooms in awkwardly. Yes. Uh, They kiss and redress, and uh, Valerie says, let's do it again later, baby. And John says, all night long, baby. (laughs) So we go back to the group, and... uh, There's a guy in glasses and a green button-up who invites uh, the blonde woman of the group in a white shirt uh, to go back to his tent. He tells her he has an Italian salami, (laughs) uh, amongst other things. They have a drink, and uh, they start making out, and they fuck again. Um, They were less acne-scarred than the other pair was my main takeaway. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of the sex in this film is uh, very unnotable. I took a lot of notes just in case I needed it, but as I look through it, it's really not important. No. Um, it's There's some really bad camera angles as she's blowing him where we see more of his hairy asshole than anything else. Oh, yeah. I wrote also that there's, like extreme, there's a lot of extreme uh, genital close-ups in this one. Yeah, yeah. All from the worst angle. Yes. Uh, again, you know, 71, we're still kind of figuring out porn. Uh, when we talked about The Sorceress, by 74, there really wasn't nearly as much of an excuse, but they were they did a better job in The Sorceress oh, than definitely. here. Definitely. He eventually pulls out as he's coming and spurts onto her butt crack, and she says it was great. She says he's some lover, and mm. then she, she says, so are you, sweetheart. She says, was that a good piece of ass? (laughs) (laughs) He says, you're the best piece I ever had, but you're the only one. 
He reveals he was a virgin. And then he says the closest he ever got was feeling his sister's breasts. Yes. Um, he says that he wanted to have an affair with her, but he felt bad because it was his sister. And she ran off and got married a week later at the age of 15. This is this is like something that didn't need to be in the film at all. No. It's um it's a beautiful detour. It's one of the things I think that makes this life this movie and this life and this movie enjoyable <laughs> are little moments like these. Right. Unnecessary detritus that gets ends up uh, in the final cut. Right. The woman says that he doesn't have to worry about it now because she's gonna take care of it. Uh, and she leans down, presumably to blow him, but it was out of frame. Um, he looks at the camera for a moment at one point in, in an awkward moment, uh, and then they get back under the covers and cuddle and kiss. So, uh, we see the campers walking again. Presumably it's the next day, despite the audience never seeing night in this film. Yeah. Um, there's no dark. Well, it would have been literally impossible for them to film at night. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I note at this point, uh, we're 40 minutes or two-thirds into The Geek, and we still haven't seen The Geek. So we get a bunch of walking shots again and lots of stock footage, including a bear walking through the grass. Yeah. So then they see a big footprint in the sand. So we're at the 42-minute mark. They decide to take their cameras to the top of a nearby ridge to see if they can see who, uh, what made it. Right. Um, John, who I note at this point looks like James Franco, uh, is looking through the camera and another guy's looking through binoculars. So finally at 4330, nearly three quarters of the way through the film, we see the geek. So the geek is a interesting character. How would you describe the geek to the audience? He's like a, he's, um, a very shaggy like head that looks like it was made out of a couple mops. And then a rented gorilla costume that a man's dick is hanging out of. Uh, yes. Um, of the, note. Maybe some patches of fur being a little thinner than others. Yeah. Uh, of note here, his hands are painted black to match the fur. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, as well as his face. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, as you'd mentioned, we see a man's penis peeking out. There's just like a hole in the gorilla costume. Yeah, it's just a cutout. And his out. little pink dick is hanging out of yeah. it. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a it's a normal pink dick, but when right. we're looking at the big geek costume, uh, in comparison to it, it's, you know, very yeah. funny looking. Yeah, it, it's funky. So, the geek is sauntering through the trees and doesn't see the campers at first. He's making snorting sounds and stops to groan. Yeah, he's just blundering about like a fool. So, uh, one of the couples shuffles down the hill towards the geek. Uh, the woman walks towards the geek and reaches out her hand, and the geek gets close and sniffs her all over. And then he grabs her and pulls her onto the ground. Uh, when this happens, her bottoms disappear. They vanish and vaporize. Yes, they from do. They're just gone. Yeah. And uh, the geek is fucking her from behind. She tries to push away at first, but uh, then seems to be pretty into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, you know, again, uh, much like in the sorceress, forced sex just becomes fun after a certain yeah, point. Yeah, after a certain point. Um, the geek needs a fluffer, it seems like. <laughs> He's having some trouble getting it up at first. Yeah, he, he is. Uh, you know, again, I feel like they were just like, well, we can't waste any of this footage. We gotta have an hour length and, uh, 
we don't have enough film to like refilm any of this stuff. So. Right, exactly. So this is what you get. <laughs> um, it's pretty amazing. She ends up collapsing onto the ground, and the geek runs away. Uh, the dude who was with her approaches her and asks if she was okay. Um, she says something about the beast putting his awful thing in her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they approach the geek again, uh, but Valerie this time trips as they try to run away from it. <laughs> and the geek then starts fucking Valerie from behind. Okay, Valerie. He's uh, fingering her from behind. I think this is especially when he was having trouble with his dong because he's stroking it, trying to get it hard okay, again. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, and then he's fingering her with his greasy paint hand, so this can't be good. <laughs> yeah, and earlier she was fingered by the hippie with the really dirty nails. <laughs> so she definitely, I believe, got a yeast infection on this trip. This was not worth the... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was worth the sacrifice at the end of the day. Cause I think we get, it was, because we're talking about it now. I guess so. A million years later. Yeah, it is almost 50, <laughs> it is almost 50 years later, and we're talking about it. Wonderful. These people are maybe all dead or very old. Let's find them. Yeah, let's find them. We can see his handprint on her butt from his greasy hands. <laughs> Um, he finally penetrates her again, again, because he appeared to have gotten soft. Uh, we hear him snarling and growling the whole time, but he seems to be having trouble the whole time as well. Yes. Uh, she seems bored. She's not fighting it, not into it, just kind of disinterested, <laughs> like the audience. As if, as if it's the most normal thing in the world. Right. Uh, eventually she collapses onto the ground and he collapses onto slash beside her. Um, the geek gets up and then kind of meanders through the area. The three guys then run toward the geek, but then, uh, the week, the geek starts just weakly throwing them aside yeah, repeatedly. They're no match. I like that. No one made any effort to stop him before he was done raping her. <laughs> right. They decide afterwards, once his attention is fully away from the rape to <laughs> then start going after him. Uh, seems world. like a strategic uh, snafu here. Yeah, he would have been a lot easier to counter when he was busy. Right. Eventually, the geek runs away, um, and then one of the dudes helps Valerie up. The team kind of regroups, uh, and then one of the guys says, one day he'll get that filthy animal. And the teams wander down a dirt road together, and then we get a physical sign that says, the end. Yes. And that is the legend of the geek, at yes. least uh, as told through the film. Right. However, there's a lot more to the story of the geek than just this film. Yeah, my We're, man in the field uh, documentarian experience. Yes. I like to consider myself the cryptid Louis Theroux. <laughs> <laughs> I get out there and I ask the real questions. Uh, you know, I get into these people's lives. I stayed with one man uh, for about a month and a half. Maybe two months. Uh, I stayed with him. And we hunted the the inspiration for this film. We hunted for the inspiration, <laughs> and we found it. Or did we? Stay so, tuned. Exactly. So, um, after this break, we'll throw to Jeremy as he tracks down the Greasy Creek monster. Ladies and gentlemen. What you are about to witness here at this theater in the next hour will undoubtedly become indelible in your memory 
forever. You are about to see one of the strangest phenomenons of our century. It is a legend come true. It is the legend of the mysterious and elusive animalistic type of creature known as the Sasquatch. Part man, but mostly beast. Hello, faithful Raincoat Report listeners. It's your boy, Jeremy, reporting from Greasy Creek, Oregon. As some of you may know, in addition to my podcasting duties, I am also a world-renowned cryptozoologist. So when I learned we were going to screen the 1971 film, The Geek, I was intrigued to say the least. My interest has led me far afield to investigate the Greasy Creek monster, colloquially known as The Geek, and to sort out fact from sordid fiction as we uncover the legend of Greasy Creek. Greasy Creek was founded in 1875 by settlers who became lost on their way to Eugene. It should be somewhat ironic that these colonizers who had braved the dangers of the Oregon Trail would have become so hopelessly lost mere miles from their destination. But if you were to ask one of the 400 souls that populate Greasy Creek about this, you would be greeted with blank stares, furrowed brows, and raised fists. Nevertheless, the hardy settlers persevered, even when the highway came through some 70 years later, connecting them directly to Eugene, and they have made Greasy Creek a rustic slice of heaven. However, Greasy Creek is not without its peculiarities and perils. The strangest of these must be said to be the legend of the Greasy Creek Monster, a shaggy biped of unknown origin who is said to roam the densely wooded hills that surround the small town. The first reported sighting of the geek was reported in the Greasy Creek Free Gazette in 1903, when a forward expedition of some of the more intellectually curious set forth to make another attempt on Eugene. The leader of this expedition, Cyrus Gunderhoven, was recorded as saying, It was larger than a bar and walked like a man, throwing easily as if he had taken to the jug. As it approached us, we became aware of a rank spell like that of a skunk, and that while it was covered in a shaggy fur, the large patches seemed to be missing. What haunts me still was the enormity of the beast's manhood, swinging between his thighs like the trunk of some disease-afflicted tree. The bulk of the expedition escaped unscathed, though the wife of one member, Bo Hansen, was reported kidnapped by the beast. Later she was found wandering the hills in a disheveled state, and later committed to a local asylum for contradicting the account of the men in the group. Sightings followed infrequently through the early 20th century. Pausing briefly during the period from 1941 to 1945, leading experts in the field to believe that the Greasy Creek Monster had been drafted and was serving with the U.S. military during during World War II. Greater attention to this regional oddity came following the release of the 1971 blockbuster pornographic epic, The Geek. And in the years following, the monster has become a cottage industry in the small town, drawing dozens of cash-rich weirdos to the annual Geek Days Festival each spring. I arrived in Greasy Creek during the off-season, looking to interview townspeople who had supposedly encountered the geek. I found the majority unwilling to talk on their experiences, at least not without certain compensations. After forking over $24.99 for a poorly screen-printed The Geek Ate My Ass t-shirt, I had found my first interview subject, a Mr. William Barrow, 49, a lifelong resident of Greasy Creek and proud truck owner. Mr. Barrow, you've stated that you've had an encounter with the Greasy Creek Monster. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, 23, 24. Oh, huh, that? Uh, sure, I can tell you. It was back in 88. Uh, the 
21st of September, if I reckon right, and me and the boys was down in the holler blasting a little hatchet. Little did we know we was flirting with disaster. Was after my third, maybe fourth beer bong, and things were getting fuzzy. I wandered off to take a piss, and that's when I first heard it. The cry of the beast. Okay, um, do you think that you could replicate that sound for my listeners? Oh, gosh, I suppose I could try. <clears throat> oh, great, great. I think my listeners will um, appreciate that demonstration. Um, so what happened next? Well, as I said, things was getting fuzzy, but as I recall, I froze in fright. Cut right off midstream, shaking in my Levi 501 button flies. In the dim light through the trees, I saw a man, big as a bear, moving toward me. I turned to run, but slipped in pee-pee, and then the monster was on me. You, you know, I, I don't think I want to talk about it no more. Look, Will, B- Billy, Bill, my butt. I'll buy another shirt, but I need to know what happened out there. No, no, I, I don't want to talk about it. This interview's over. Go and get Get your fancy hey, microphone hey, let go out of me. here. Hey, quit, get, right, hey, get out of my hey, face, you hey, son of a bitch. Get, quit. Hey, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing how my subject had become violently reluctant to discuss his encounter with the geek only reinforced my desire to learn more. Clutching my new shirt and nursing a new shiner, I went in search of a more accommodating subject. I would soon find myself in the tackily decorated spare bedroom of a local palm reader. Under the gaze of a massive velvet portrait of a calico cat, I sat with Mellow Yellow, 27, a transplant from San Francisco who wrecked her car on the way to a music festival making the remarkable choice to start again in the new town rather than call AAA for help. Uh, Miss Yellow, you came highly recommended as a first-hand source of knowledge about the geek. Uh, in fact, you started a local group called Friends of Greasy Creek, isn't that right? Yeah. Um, can you tell my listeners a little bit about your experience and uh, the purpose of your group? Like, I started this group after meeting the monster to raise awareness that, like, really, he's no monster at all. I crashed my car into a tree just on the outskirts of town, and it was like night, I think. They say I hit my head pretty hard, but I don't remember that part. That's just what they tell me. Anyway, so I like crash my car, right? And I sit up, and coming out of the woods, there's a man. Only he's not a man. He looked like a gorilla and smelled like hella ass, but I know for sure that he's an angel. He dragged my car right up out of the ditch and, like, pointed me right towards town. Uh, An angel? Uh, That's funny. I've heard he's a bit of a rough customer in other people's... Well, that's all they are, is stories. If you talk to anyone in the Friends, you would be so much closer to the truth than you are now. The geek isn't um, some greasy-faced rapist. He's a friend to all mankind and a messenger of God, a real-life angel from beyond our material world. The night I met him, I saw his aura, and it was very positive and gentle. He could never be a monster. He's just misunderstood. Our group seeks to befriend the geek. From there, we believe he will take us to his UFO and then on to explore and learn the secrets of the cosmos, bringing eternal peace to mankind. It's all about light and life. Oh, well, and- hey, would you look at that? Um, I'm actually running out of tape over here, so I'll have to cut you off. But uh, you know, thanks for talking to me. Uh, bye. My curiosity was inflamed. 
Was the popular account wrong, or was Miss Yellow simply a crank? In either case, I knew that I was ready to set off on my own through Forest and Dale in search of the geek. Climbing into my rented car, I set off for one of Greasy Creek's numerous trailheads, under the assumption that one was as good as another. Dear listeners, I was wrong. The following recordings will attest to that and document my descent into the fever swamp of America's last frontier. Okay, so uh, this is entry one, first day, second hour. Uh, I've been walking for a few hours now. Um, I didn't bring any water, so I was pretty thirsty, but I figured that out. Uh, what I've been doing is I drink from these thin streams that run across the trail. I simply purse my lips and lie flat upon the earth and suckle from nature's teat. Uh, entry two, first day, fifth hour. Uh, so the sun went down. Uh, my phone's dying, so I can't use the flashlight. This will make finding streams all but impossible. In addition to water, I also did not bring any food. Uh, so far, no sighting of the monster or uh, any other notable life forms. Entry three, first day, seventh hour. Uh, I went off trail to urinate, and I can't seem to find my way back. I don't seem to have much of a choice but to plunge ahead and hope to intersect with the trail ahead somewhere. Entry four. Second day. Uh, I don't know what time. Uh, I've made it through the night. I survived by wedging myself beneath the log and used a blanket woven of moss. I also taught myself to weave. Um... My phone died, and I choose not to wear a watch, so my timing for the foreseeable future will be off. Oh, hey, I think I found the trail again. Uh, I've been following the stream downhill, and... Uh, entry four, second day. I still don't know what time it is. Okay, so I just tripped over a stump. The recorder seems okay. Uh, this whole area looks like it's been logged recently. Uh, just stumps on stumps. There's something in this one. Hey, it looks like plastic. Old spank rags, penthouse, screw, high society, they're all here. Well, if I gain nothing else, uh, these should get me through the night. Entry five, second night, the dark hour, the dark hour. Uh, things are getting weird. Those magazines I found were in perfect condition. They're well wrapped, and I was ready to write it off as one of those gifts God sometimes gives us. But then I looked on another stump, then another. Magazines in every single one. I threw the ones I had down and hightailed it out of there. I don't know what to make of it. Currently weaving a blanket from twigs. I must rest soon. Entry six, second night, witching hour. Uh, I just heard something. Still don't have a flashlight. This 
can't see, but I, I heard something for sure. Who's there? Are you the geek? Are you the geek? Announce yourself. Sir. Sir. Last entry, third day, morning. Uh, so I'm recording this from the Rangers uh, station. Uh, the batteries fell out of the recorder during the scuffle, but I do believe I met the geek last night. We wrestled in the dark for what felt like hours, and then the unspeakable happened. The good news, uh, the ranger found me, and he gave me an uncrustable when we got back to the station. The bad news, the slogan emblazoned upon my shirt, the geek ate my ass, is now my reality. And there you have it, the geek. Angel to some, devil to others. This is Jeremy, reporting for the Rinko Report from Greasy Creek, Oregon. Back to you, boss. Some scientists believe that the ancient Neanderthal man was the progenitor of our present civilization. Yet others insist that the Sasquatch, otherwise known as the Geek, is ancient man. A mutation, perhaps, but nevertheless, ancient man. All right, we're back here on the Raincoat Report. Um, that was some great investigative journalism, Jeremy. Thank you. Um, as you know, I barely made it out alive, so I'm glad to be able back here with you all to uh, talk about these two films and give it my uh, seal of approval. Uh, excellent. I'm, yeah. I'm very glad that you made it back as well, and I can't wait to see what sort of investigative work you're able to do in the future. Thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think I have a new... A new lease on life. Excellent. You yeah. were you were kind of spiraling there, so I'm glad yeah. something was able to pick you up. Yeah, I immediately turned to independent investigative journalism, which pays very, very well. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, so, well, in the meantime, let's go ahead and throw to our review uh, section here, and we'll wrap up the show. So, uh, as is tradition, uh, we'll go ahead and switch over to Jeremy, our resident film critic, um, so, do you want to go ahead and just tackle both of them? Oh, yeah. All right. So, Jeremy, <clears throat> do it. Okay. Do it, Rockapella. I'm working on it. Da, 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 da. Um, so, we'll start with The Sorceress uh, by John Ball or two other men, as Boss noted earlier in the segment. Um, of the two features, I would say this one was certainly probably the more uh, attention-getting of the two, just because of the set dressing and the lack of aimless wandering (laughs) (laughs) but uh as a film of like uh substance and plot uh not much not much going on they develop that interesting angle where maybe they're gonna blackmail someone right but then it uh goes nowhere and devolves into a real like richard chase type situation the uh (laughs) Uh, late 70s serial killer who would just wander into unlocked homes and just start butchering and eating people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was actually a couple of years before I think he started, so maybe he saw this and was like, unlocked doors are... You can just do whatever you want. <laughs> this movie has a perhaps troubling legacy. Yes. Um, but uh, overall, I'd say it's... Uh, if you have this 
if you have the Bizarre Art Theater collection or thinking about getting it, uh, this movie is definitely probably one of the uh, more interesting looking ones that I've seen so far of the, I think what, plus 12 films that are on there. Yeah, I think it's 12. Okay. Um, you know, like I was kind of talking about uh, earlier, the the camera works pretty good. The uh-huh. colors are ugly, but they're pretty vibrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the gothic kind of aesthetic of their fake uh, fortune-telling place. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so give it a little watch. A little watch. <laughs> a little watch. It's only an hour, so it's uh, it's not too much of a heavy time investment. So yeah. I'd say I'd give it uh, 2.5. Okay. Um, and then it's for the geek. Uh, let, let me, I guess you I'll, talk, I'll, about I'll the talk about the sorceress okay. and then we'll switch over. Uh, All right. So yeah, I would agree with what you said about the sorceress. <laughs> um, overall, you know, between these two films, it's probably the more competently made film. Uh, I appreciate the, um, very unauthorized, uh, soundtrack used here. Oh yeah. I did not, I forgot to praise that, but yes. Excellent. Yeah. It's excellent work here. Um, I think that it's a film that has some wasted opportunities because I feel like the concept of the film could set up a really interesting adult film, but instead it sets up a... Serial rape and murder. Yeah. <laughs> like, it comes... And, and, you know, the end of the film just kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, the setup of the film sets up, like, a lot of different possibilities... Uh, the whole blackmail angle easily could have backfired. Like, even, like, at the end of the film, it could have been one of the prior customers coming back to get revenge because right. they were blackmailed or whatever. Exactly. But instead, it was just a random act of violence, and uh, the uh, whole setup of the film didn't really serve any purpose other than to put her in a situation where she was interacting with the general public um and to uh just have some sex scenes yeah exactly um what you gonna give it uh i give it two and a half as well like i wasn't bored by it at all i was uh i was on board and interested through it but i would also say that there's nothing particularly like doesn't really stand out right overall yeah um, it's of, of the stuff we've covered at least yeah of the stuff that we've covered uh you know this would be kind of low on the list of things for you to go out of your way to see mm-hmm. um but you know it's not bad no uh, great so we're in agreement yes so let's I'm, move I'm on to bang my gavel the geek the geek um i think of the geek it's kind of it's on a different plane than the sorceress. <laughs> it's on a in, different plane than most things in life. Yes. It's a, it's a great idea executed in probably the worst way imaginable, <laughs> but also something managing to somehow remain endearing even uh, yes. as they wander aimlessly and meander in and out of the plot such as it is. Yeah, I think that like it's a film that has a lot of wandering and stock footage and a lot of padding. Yeah. And when you think about a film that's an hour long, usually you don't have to deal with a lot of padding. Right. It's strange because it's it's so poorly made that it becomes 
better in and of itself. Yes, uh, if it were it's an sli- ideal to strive for in it, the world of independent filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a certain way because like if it were slightly better made, it would be a worse movie. Right. If it were as competently made as the Sorceress, it would be more boring. Yeah, um, if they tried to pull off like yeah the same exact like plot of them just traipsing around. Right, but. It it it, ha- it just has a, a charm to it. Um, the concept is excellent, but you know, as you noted, it's really uh, the worst possible way to approach it. Yes. Like I feel like both of these movies could easily handle a remake, and they would be uh, like the concepts for both are excellent. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, it's world of high concept low uh art porn yes um that's really i think the most that's what that collection's all about to be honest yeah for sure um so if you for some reason want to watch stuff like this that's the bizarre art theater collection is that still available yes it is it's still in print from vinegar syndrome it's a three dvd set uh they actually have two uh two storefront theater collections mm-hmm. uh the other one's titled all night at the pono yeah I have, um, you got me that one too i have not watched quite as much of that yet yeah um it is i think the ones in there are slightly more conventional although you know some of the titles seem to hint at kind of weird concepts as well so perhaps yeah, not like, as um, much yeah i think there's like a hercules in there and i think there might be one called like succula yeah yeah um, I haven't, as as with you, I haven't dived into that other collection quite as much. But um, you know, it's they're all restorations by Vinegar Syndrome. Um, these aren't like some of the more high class Vinegar Syndrome releases that are restored from original negatives. These are restored from prints and look a bit beat up and banged around. But you know, again, this is the time of the storefront cinema, these tiny theaters that ran uh, 8 or 16 millimeter films to small audiences in the uh, early and mid-70s. So this isn't like the uh, higher-end uh, films that were made on 35 millimeter or, you know, even 16 millimeter, but just with a better budget that we talk about on a lot of uh, other weeks. You know, again, we're we're setting our sights a little bit low, and it's important to uh, set your expectations uh, appropriately. But I think that the geek itself is an interesting enough concept, and again, by its ineptitude, it's a lot more interesting than it has any right to be. Yeah. And of course, it led to a, a completely compelling piece of investigative journalism that uh, will be the cornerstone of our podcast going forward and will launch us into the stratosphere i'm gonna try to get a pulitzer um <laughs> we need to rate the geek i, forgot. Uh, we forgot I don't to know do that. how to rate the geek um i think i'm gonna break and do two ratings okay on a technical level probably about a 1.5 or a 2 okay on a soul-fulfilling spiritual level i'm gonna give it a 4.5 <laughs> Um, you know what? I'll just go with what you said. <laughs> That's the only way to break it. <laughs> because I can't like, cause I was trying to think of it. Do I, do I feel like giving it the same sort of star rating as like corruption as or corruption or something? Yeah. I can't really do that. But at the same time, like 
it was something that I watched, and I afterward, after watching it, I thought to myself, this is one of the worst adult films I've ever seen in my life. But at the same time, I can't stop thinking about it. It's like um, Bat Pussy. Yes, uh, yeah. which is definitely something we'll have an episode about at some point. I think we definitely point. just need to do a live reading of Bat Pussy. Yeah, we need to... <laughs> Uh, it's just going to be so much work to write down that script. You, we'll just tackle it in halves. You'll take the first thirty. I'll take the last, however long. Yeah. We'll break it down. We'll do it. We'll do yeah. it, brother. It'll be it'll be an interesting week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, the geek is an interesting way of life. Um, Absolutely is. <laughs> That's a beautiful way to put it. All right. Um, it's not a film. It's a lifestyle. Well, I want to thank you once again, Jeremy, for going out of your way, spending two months in Greasy Creek, tracking down the Greasy Creek monster or, mm. you know, whatever you were able to track down at that point. Um, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of old porn mags stuffed in trunks. Well, you know, it's yeah. important. Yeah, I brought them back. You want to look through them? Uh, yes, let's All do right. that. Okay, All I right. got them in a suitcase. Let's go check them out. All right, well... In the meantime, uh, remember to follow us on social media at Raincoat Report on Instagram and Twitter. Also, our Facebook page is live, correct? Yes. Um, you know, if it's not completely banned by the time this episode comes out. i got to upload the last, like, six episodes we did, so we'll, uh, we'll see if I get, like, completely banned in the meantime. <laughs> so, uh, we might be on Facebook by the time you hear this. Uh, if, if we are, then, uh, you know... Follow us there as well. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app or platform. Uh, and tell people about it. We need more people listening to the Raincoat Report. Um, our army is growing. We've seen it in the numbers. We want to thank you guys for uh, following us, listening to our madness. And uh, you know, feel free to give us some feedback on social media. What do you like? Uh, I think that we've been making an effort on our end to kind of tighten things up and make our show stronger. Yeah. Uh, this one's probably going to end up being a little bit longer, but we had investigative journalism and we covered two films. So yeah. uh, I think it was it. at least jam packed with interesting information. Yeah. Everything. There's not a minute or bot sentence that we cut out. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, podcasting perfection and you're welcome. <laughs> For Jeremy, this is Boss inviting you to help us keep 42nd Street alive and don't forget your raincoat.